You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Tuesday, June 20th, 2023, and it is indeed a heck of a morning. We are live on the MMA Fighting Twitter spaces. You can hear the show in its entirety shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Hello there. I am Mike Heck. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Hope everyone's having a wonderful start to the week. We have some MMA for you this week. We have PFL. Back this week, Shane Burgos on the card, Olivia Aubin Mercier versus Anthony Romero, the main event. So we have that. And then Saturday, UFC is back in front of a crowd. They're in Jacksonville, Florida for UFC Jacksonville. It'll be an ABC card, which means we get some early day MMA, just the way we like it. Noon Eastern, prelims, 3 p.m. Eastern main card. Love that so much. Main event. Josh Emmett versus Ilya Taporia, big one at 145 pounds. Amanda Hibas, Macy Barber is the co-main event. That is a fun fight. Justin Taffa, Austin Lane is on the main card. Not sure why that's on the main card. I mean, I kind of get why it's on the main card. Austin Lane having the Jacksonville ties. We have David Onama, Gabriel Santos, Brandon Allen, Bruno Silva. I believe that's your main card right there. Five fights. Neil Magny, Phil Rowe on the card. Randy Brown's back against Wellington Terman. Jillian Robertson trying to get another big performance at 115 pounds. Has a big test in Tabitha Ricci. Trevor Peak is back. Tatsura Tyra is back. A lot to like on this card. A lot to like. I dig it. This past weekend, we had a ton of mixed martial arts from Octagon having an event. We had Bellator on Friday, Bellator 297. Vadim Nemkov defeats Yoel Romero in the main event. I don't think anybody was truly surprised. That was everything you would expect from a 46-year-old Yoel Romero fight. Sergio Pettis with a tremendous performance against Patricio Pitbull. History will have to wait for the current Bellator featherweight champion, but what a performance from Sergio Pettis. First fight in well over a year. Comes back and 
just delivers. And now we're going to get Sergio Pettis versus Patchy Mix, and that is a tremendous fight. Very much looking forward to that. We had Corey Anderson versus Phil Davis in a fight that if you didn't watch it, you could probably imagine what that fight would look like, and that's exactly the fight we got. Split decision, Corey Anderson gets it done, and then the main card kicked off with the most heavyweighty heavyweight fight you will ever see in your life. Gokhan Sarakam defeats Daniel James. Chicago crowd not happy. I have thoughts. That fight should not have been on the main card. I've said it on preview shows, said it a million times. That fight should not have been on the main card. You should have put one of your prospects on there that you were building. Take him off the prelims, put him on the main card. Norbert Novendi Jr., that performance, the way he looked in that fight, that incredible knockout. Can you imagine how much differently we would be looking at that card if that was the first fight of the main card? Be looking at it a lot different. Or could have done Archie Colgan, Emmanuel Sanchez. That was a fun fight. Could have done that to kick off the main card. Just Daniel, it made no sense to me. Made no sense. And unfortunately, Bellator didn't get a lot of buzz off of this event outside of Sergio Pettis' performance. It's just tough. It's just tough. There's like little tweaks they can make that can make a big difference. But in the end, I think they're the third most talked about card of, of the three majors. In terms of in-cage action, the UFC had the best card. Marvin Vittori, Jerry Cannonier beat the hell out of each other. That was the best card. Like, that was the best card on paper. I mean, not on paper, but that was the best card in terms of in-cage action of the entire weekend. Armin Sarukian looked good against Joaquin Silva. He was a massive favorite. Joaquin Silva had a puncher's chance, landed a big punch, had Sarukian hurt for a moment, but Sarukian battled back, recovered, Said F this in the third round, got the finish. We'll see what happens next for him. Arm Petrosian hands Christian Leroy Duncan his first loss. Pat Sabatini, great performance. Manuel Torres with one of the best knockouts of the year. Knocking out Nicholas Mota. Nicholas Dalby gets a big win. The card was good. There was some weirdness with the Ronnie Lawrence, Daniel Arqueta fight, the Carlos Hernandez, Dennis Bondar fight. But all in all, it was a pretty fun watch. And then PFL, I mean, Larissa Pacheco, great performance. I don't think anybody's going to be talking about the PFL card at all in terms of the fights. But obviously, we had the big face-off with Francis Ngannou and John Jones. That stole all the headlines for the weekend. So there's just kind of a question here. Who won? Did PFL win the weekend? I think there's a case to be made, and it has nothing to do with the actual event. But getting Francis and John in the same room and having them do a face-off and setting that up perfectly, you can make a case that they won the weekend based on that two-minute clip alone because that's what everybody's going to be talking about coming out of this past weekend. But if you want to talk about the actual fights themselves, I think the UFC won the weekend. I think the UFC had the better card, and I think Bellator is number three on both of those fronts, if we're being honest. But... We'll see. Bellator had a big chance here to get some momentum, and there's just a solid B, B-minus Bellator card. It's the same we always, same thing we're, we've been getting. But Sergio Pettis, stock rose tremendously, set up a nice fight with Patchy Mix that I think people are a little more excited about. That's 
pretty much all the momentum they got. Prelims, they had some great performances. I mentioned No-No Jr. He looked incredible. Archie Colgan, great fight. Jordan Newman, great performance. Had some good knockouts, some good finishes. But the prelims just like, it just doesn't seem like there's any importance to them. We just go from one to the next and the next to the next. We get no post-fight interviews, none of that. You can't build stars that way. You cannot build stars that way. We heard Scott Coker sort of confirm that. I mean, we knew Bellator was up for sale, that they're taking some suitors. PFL in the mix. And then Ray Seffo confirmed from the PFL side that there are talks going on. Now, there are other entities in play here, uh, some well-known ones from what I understand. But PFL being in the mix, a lot of people are excited about that. What does that mean? What does that mean? Will the What will that mean for the UFC? How will they react to this? I'll tell you how they'll react to this. They won't care. This does nothing to the UFC if they merge or if there's some sort of deal, there's a partnership. The UFC will just be like, oh, that's cool. They'll probably have Dana go into the studio and announce a couple of fights, steal some headlines, and then literally that's it. That's like all they'll react. That's the only way they'll react to it because they're so far ahead that it doesn't even matter to them. So we can talk about that. We can talk about this past weekend. We can talk about Jacksonville. We can talk about whatever you want. We had some fights announced as well that we confirmed. Um, Henry Cejudo. I mentioned last week, UFC Boston coming together. There might be a couple of Bantamweight fights added to the mix. The Henry Cejudo-Marlon Vera fight was one of the fights I was talking about. I knew that was being discussed. I knew it was probably in the red zone. I knew Cejudo had agreed to the fight. It was just a matter of logistics all the way around. And the broadcast partner, ESPN, broke the news yesterday. That fight is verbally agreed on both sides. We confirmed that last night. That fight happening in Boston. Good addition to that card. That Boston card's coming together looking real nice. And then I had heard rumblings yesterday uh, that Kai Car France was going to fight Manel Cop on that Sydney pay per view in September. Confirmed it in the afternoon. Couldn't fully confirm it till about one o'clock this morning Eastern time. And that's it. That fight's happening as well. Both verbally agreed upon, no contracts yet. Uh, but both those fights are targeted and being close to being finalized. So. There you go. A lot to discuss. Let's get into this thing. And we'll start with Four Corner Sports. He was first in line. What's up, Four Corner Sports? Hey, Mike, are you yes, me? I can. So, so I didn't want to be a folk card, but one of my boys did. And, man, if if the PFO ended up doing, like, half the speed that Bellator would do it with their prelims, I think there would be a more watchable and enjoyable um, – What's it called for promotion to watch? Because uh, I had friends of mine that were watching the PFL and they were saying that it was dragging. And I told them, I was like, look, you're going you're gonna to feel like you're, you're going to be watching the PFL for about like 10 hours. And it was just, they were complaining about the pacing. But I wanted to talk about uh, the main event and uh, the co-main event of uh, from the UFC card. Now, 
I'm fully convinced that Vittori and Max Holloway are like tier one status with like the most titanium chins in MMA because man, uh, Vittori ended up taking a beating from Jared Cannonier, and I just thought that he wasn't able to make the adjustments. And I think the power from uh, Cannonier was really affecting uh, Vittori. I felt that it was great that uh, Cannonier actually improved and was actually working on trying to put more output because the Strickland fight, it was okay. Um, it was way better than the Adesanya fight because Adesanya fight it just looked like, I don't know if he was starstruck. I don't know if he was, you know, um, having a difficult time trying to get the reads off of Izzy. But it was clear that on the international fight week card last year that he just didn't, he wasn't throwing enough. And this time he actually threw enough and is now actually intriguing in the spot that he's in where he can actually, you know, be possibly in a title mix or maybe in a title eliminator. I feel like he might get the Hamza fight, um, if anything, as a number one contender fight. But it really depends on what happens on the international fight week card because I have a feeling that Whitaker is going to have a tough time spinning it around in less than a two-month span. I think DDP is not going to come out there as the winner, and it's going to be pretty much uh, if the UFC wants to go with uh, Cannoneer or if they tell Jamal Hill here, fly out, to, fly out to Sydney, you know, we'll make this into like a champ versus champ fight and because I feel like the UFC is, is kind of tied within, within their own hands. Or unless, for some crazy reason, they tell Hamzat, and I feel like that would actually do better numbers than all the other opponents that I mentioned. For the Armin fight, I felt like Armin kind of got exposed on the feet. Um, do you think that what's it called, though, with this performance, he's still going to have a tough time trying to fight in fights just because, uh, you know, he actually did really well on the, on the ground game against uh, Joaquin Silva, but clearly he got cracked in that second round, and... Um, I just feel like if he was to fight somebody like Justin Gaethje, he might get exposed on the feet. But I just want to know what you think. And it's always good talking to you, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, man. But the Armin thing, I don't think he got exposed on the feet. He didn't get exposed. He didn't get exposed. This is this is an Armin fight. This is an Armin Sarukian fight. Went out there, took him down, beat him up, wore it on him, made Joaquin work. It's, it's how he fights. Second round came out. Maybe he should have gotten the fight back to the ground, but he wanted to stand there and trade with Joaquin, and he was winning all of the exchanges except for one, except for the one he got tagged. Got a little too excited. Maybe got a little too pumped up to try to get him out of there. He got hit. Got hit really hard. Joaquin Silva can crack, man. He took Joaquin's best shot, got wobbled a little bit, overcame it, recovered real fast, got the takedown. Didn't win the round, but got all the momentum. And then the third round, he's like, screw it. I have to get this guy out of there. And that's exactly what he did. So I don't think he got exposed. I think he was just kind of – I think there's a part of him that was just kind of bored with the matchup. Like, why are we doing this? Will he have a hard time finding fights? Maybe. I think the Darius fight's the only one that really makes sense right now. If he has to wait till December, I mean, you just got to do it. At this point, unless you just want to fight backwards. There's other fights coming up at 155. Some really tough, like, high-risk, low-reward fights, if we're being honest. Like, Grant Dawson is fighting Uzbegulov. If Grant wins, like, maybe you could do that. You could do one of the Jalen Turner, 
Dan Hooker fighters, depending on who wins or loses that one. But I think you just wait for Benil. And I loved what he did. I loved the Michael Chandler call-out. He ain't going to get it. He has less than a 1% chance of getting that fight. But he at least put down some seeds, and he's right on the news cycle. The Connor fight, people are not optimistic that that fight's going to happen before the end of the year. Take your shot, man. Like, I don't have a problem with that. He's not going to get it, but take your shot. Plant some seeds. If you don't get it now, maybe you'll get it later. Down the road. But I think Dariush is the right fight. I think the UFC could probably convince Dariush to fight a little bit earlier than December. Go back to Abu Dhabi. I think that fight's perfect. What else is perfect for that card is Jared Kananir versus Hamza Chimaev. That is 1,000% the fight to make. We talked about it on the show. Somebody had brought that up as, as far as what what are Vittori and Kananir fighting for? Are they fighting for the Hamzat fight? And yeah, they probably were. They probably were. And I know he was asked about Hamzat specifically at the press conference. He kind of turned the question into other questions. And I think for Jerry Kananir, if he wants to get back to a title fight, the quickest route for him is fighting Hamzat Shemaev. If he somehow beats Hamzat Shemaev, he is getting a title fight, even if Israel Adesanya is still the champion. He is going to get such a rub from beating that guy that he will get a title shot. So that is his best chance of getting one. Not saying he can never get one, but as long as Israel Adesanya is still the champion, the only chance he gets that fight again is if he beats Hamzat Shemaev, in my humble opinion. So he was wondering, all right, well, if I get a title shot after the win, sure, I'll fight this guy. And I think he would. I think that would be an eliminator fight. I think that's how it would be. Maybe the UFC wouldn't position it as such. Maybe Dana wouldn't go, won't 100% commit to that. But that is the fight to make, 1,000%. They're not going to give Hamzat Izzy now because I don't think Izzy's going to be all that into it right now. We have to give Hamzat a win against a top-ranked guy just because he hasn't fought in so long. By the time he fights again... If he fights on that Abu Dhabi card, it's going to be 13 months since his last fight. So we got to get him in there with, the, with a high-ranked guy. Let's do something interesting. And now, all of a sudden, we have ourselves a fun, interesting opponent. Like, Costa's just fun because those two would just – the build would be ridiculous. The Usman idea I never really bought to begin with, unless they do it at 185. Now you have something. Now you have something. Go ahead and book that fight. Announce it like next week. Get it done. I don't care how much you have to pay Garrett Kennear. Get that fight done. I don't know who is he's going to fight. They'll figure it out. But let's go ahead and just get Kennear and Hamza ready to go. Let's announce it for October. And let's go. What are we waiting for? Let's get right into that. Let's go to Just Simply Rob. What's up, Just Simply, Rob? Hey, Mike, my brother. How are you? How's everything on your end? It's good, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, man. I uh, had some tough thoughts earlier, but since you talked about Hamza, I, I wanted to talk about that as well. I, I wanted your opinion on a couple of things. I have a, a weird sentiment about Hamza. I feel like at 170, he's more of a champion contender, in my opinion. Uh, but that jump from 170 to 185, I'm not convinced that he's going to have success because of the simple fact that uh, obviously it is a big jump from 170 to 185, and the people that cut down to 185 are already naturally big. So I don't know that uh, 
his wrestling will fare well at 185 just for the simple fact that I don't think he'll be able to take him down as easily as he would at 170. And then if it has to stay up on the on the feet, I notice that he's very heavy on the right side. He's a right uppercut, right overhand kind of guy. And I think that some other guys at 185 that uh, still pack on that weight, that you know, make that big cut. If they put some hands on him, I mean, remember what Gilbert Burns did to him. And Gilbert Burns came from 155. So if a, if a 185er puts hands on him and it's like 185 or heavier 185 or that cuts down from let's say 200 to 220 uh, i think it could be problems for him what do you think about that mike i mean i guess we just have to see it you know what i mean we just have to see it we just have to see this man fight but throwing hamzad in there with like a top t- like throwing him in there with like eric anders makes no sense throwing him in there with like mark andre barrio makes no sense you gotta throw him to the wolves if he's gonna if if, if he's gonna fight at 185 he just beat Kevin Holland, who was a longtime middleweight. Now, he's not as big as a lot of these other guys, but he was a longtime middleweight. On top of that, Hamza Chemaev, and I've said this a million times, Hamza Chemaev is a monster. That dude is gigantic. I've stood next to that man in Jacksonville last year. He is humongous. He could probably fight at 205. That's how big he is. He is going to have to cut a pretty sizable amount of weight to even make 185. He's a huge guy. Very, very big. So to me, I think middleweight's probably better suited for him. He's still going to have to cut like 20-something pounds to get to 185. He's cutting a lot more to get to 170. So I think physically he can hang. And if you saw some photos on social media of Hamzat, he looks like he's packing on a little bit of muscle. So he's probably even bigger than that right now. So seems like his middleweight frame is coming together. He keeps teasing 170. To me, this is like to me, this is like Charles Oliveira continuing to tease that he's not done with featherweight. Like go to 185. See how it goes. If you go to 185, you fight Jared Cannonier, and it ain't good for you. Go then you can go back to 170. Get a dietitian. You can take it really seriously. You can do what Kevin Holland's doing and just really focusing on staying in shape and not getting too bulky and not putting on too much weight. But at this point, I don't really care who Hamzad fights. He needs to fight a ranked dude. He just needs to fight. This is the question we get so much. It's the most asked question in MMA. Where is Hamzad Shemaev? When is he fighting? You would assume Abu Dhabi, but if, if he doesn't fight on that card, I'm going, like, I'm just losing hope altogether. Like, I understand there's hurdles he has to come over. There's a lot of talk about is travel to the U.S. an issue, and nobody really knows for sure. Nobody really knows for sure. But Abu Dhabi, let's get him on that card. Cannoneer is a perfect fight for him. It's the perfect litmus test. And if he goes out there and just runs Cannoneer, give him a title shot. That's it. But let's see what he can do. Let's just get him in there against a really good guy. Let's test him. It's not like he's 22. The dude's fought Gilbert Burns already. He's fought Kevin. He's fought good dudes. Lee Jing Liang, he just absolutely massacred. Just ran over Kevin Holland. Gilbert Burns' fight was a little different because I don't know what it was. Sometimes you just need those fights. But let's see. Let's get him in there. Maybe he'll have problems, but maybe he won't. Let's just get him in the octagon and let's see. And Ken there's the perfect guy to test him. CV, hello. Yo, Mike, heck of a morning. Uh, two too. quick questions for me. Um, first question, early thoughts on the Cejudo-Avera uh, matchup? 
man, that UFC Boston card is looking looking fire. Hopefully, nobody gets injured. Um, second question: uh, Can you give us a quick like um, like scouting report or just a little background info on the the other Hamzat? Um, I saw that post yesterday, and I'm, I'm like, I thought it was like his uh, twin brother, man. But like, yeah, uh, thoughts on that as well. Thanks. So I'll be honest with you. Like, usually I have my my finger on the pulse of the prospect world. Uh, I have no idea who this guy is. Honestly, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. He. Uh, let me pull up the article. Hamzat Maev doing Hamzat Maev things. Uh, look, he, he looked good. 41-second finish. He obviously is getting comparisons to Hamzat. It's not a bad guy to be compared to. So I'll look into him a little bit more. Let's, uh, let, me, let, me, let me just pull up his topology real quick. Let's just do this right here. But I honestly, I have to go in and watch a little bit more more tape on him. Let's see. 4-0. How old is he? Not even sure. 4-0, all first-round finishes. Find an 0-0 guy, another 0-0 guy, another 0-0 guy, and a 1-1 guy on the Brave card. Dude uh, seems to be sort of a murderer in that respect, but yeah, we'll have to see. I don't even know how old he is. His topology page is just NA across the board. So another mystery, another mystery, but seems like he's on the right path. Seems like brave promoted him quite a bit. They put him on a poster saying like, please watch this guy. Wait till you see what he could do. So brave's pretty solid promotion. So they have a good eye for talent. So he's somebody that I, that I'm going to be paying attention to a little bit more. That's for sure. And then I'll answer your other question in a minute. Ronnie, hello. Ronnie, are you there? You're muted right now. I don't know if you know that. There hello? we go. What's up, man? Heck of a morning, brother. I was uh, I saw Kai Car France versus Manel Cape. I was wondering your thoughts on that. That's really all I have. Thanks, man. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good little transition. We could talk about both of those fights that are uh, almost finalized. Kaikar France, Manel Cop, great fight. I think it's perfect matchmaking. Let's see what, uh, what Manel Cop can do. Let's see what Manel Cop can do. He's had some bad luck recently, booked against Alex Perez. Perez had a medical issue the day of the fight, so got pulled from that. I believe was it was this what car was that? Was it San, what car was that? I gotta I gotta look it up. I just wrote the freaking article too and I forgot all about it. What fight was car was that? Uh San Antonio. It was San Antonio. That's what I was thinking. I just trying to make sure. And then he's booked to fight the former champion Davis and Figueredo. Figueredo tells our own Guillermo Cruz. I don't know why the UFC announced that fight because I'm not medically cleared to even compete. I have lingering injuries. So that fight's canceled. That was on International Fight Week. That probably gets him a title shot if he wins that fight. So what's like the next best thing we can do? Let's have him fight Kakar France. Tough out. Dude's going to get some work. That's for sure. 
I like the matchup. I like the matchup. It's unfortunate we have to wait. It's going to be nine months between fights for Manel Cop, and a lot of people felt like this is going to be his year to get to a title fight. And maybe after this, he goes out there and beats Kaikar France and does so convincingly. His next fight, there's a very good chance it's for the belt, depending on what happens with Amir Albazi and Brandon Royva, what happens to those guys. So it's a, it's a great fight. It's a great fight. Kaikar France close to home. He'll have the crowd behind him. It'll be a good one. The other fight was Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Vera. And I have to check with my best friend on this. I should get not no point for this because, ladies and gentlemen, this is the fight I wanted from Jump Street. This is the fight I wanted right off the bat. When Cejudo said, I'm coming back, when he was in the USADA pool, I said, do not give this man a title shot right now. Right now. Let's get him in there with Marlon Vera. Vera. And then they announced the Corey Sanhagen fight, which I just couldn't stand. Great matchup, but didn't really need to happen. This was it. This was the fight to make. Cejudo wins. It's a good test. It's actually kind of a favorable matchup for him. Wins that, gets a title fight. You get no arguments from me. He could go and fight Volkanovski after beating Marlon Vera, as far as I was concerned. But they gave him the, the Sterling fight. It went the way that it did. And now we're doing this fight. And I like it. I like this fight. I favor Henry Cejudo. I think... Sudo's going to have a lot of the, at least, ground advantages that Corey Sandhagen had. But Cheeto Vera, is a, is, he's a gamer, man. He is a gamer. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when they exchange on the feet. Can Vera be a little more aggressive? Can he find his openings? Because he couldn't really find any against Corey Sandhagen. So. But it's a good fight. If we can't... I know Cejudo really wanted to fight on that card because it's the... 15-year anniversary of when he won the gold medal. I believe it's like on that exact day. So he really wanted a fight on that card. Marab Dewalish really was kind of his first choice, but obviously Marab had some surgery, had some injuries to deal with. So, And I think the state of this division where it's at, I think it's perfect matchmaking. Because we have to remember this, ladies and gentlemen, especially with Corey Sanhagen and Umar Namagamadoff coming up. We are not in the meritocracy business. We are in the big, building the biggest fights we can business. So Cejudo winning puts him in a very good spot. If Sterling wins, title's vacant. So you could do the Cejudo-Marab fight for the vacant title if he wins. Let's just say Sean O'Malley goes out there and beats Aljamain Sterling. Because Sterling has said many times, this is his last fight. At 135, win, lose, or draw, he's, he's, he's done at 135 after this fight. If Sean O'Malley wins, Suhudo O'Malley is an interesting matchup. There's some heat there. They will probably put that fight together. But if Cheeto Vera wins, even though he lost to Corey Sanhagen, you know what the UFC is going to do. They're going to do Cheeto, Sean O'Malley 2 for the title, and that's a big-ass fight. So I think this is great matchmaking. Not just from a stylistic perspective, but for business and the future of this division, considering this is more than likely Aljamain Sterling's final fight at 135. You can't go wrong with either of these guys winning. And you got something pretty much in place either way that's interesting and will get some heat and sell some pay-per-views. And plus, you still got Corey Sandhagen and Umar waiting in the wings. 
it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fascinating time for 135. But I think some people are gonna be pissed with how this all plays out because of the spites on this card. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Barbarossa, hello. How are you doing today? Good. Good, good. Uh, I just uh, want to uh, ask you about uh, the bantamweight division. Uh, you said it yourself. The stakes seems to be a title shot for um, Cejudo versus uh, Chito Vera. What about Sandhagen? He's putting a lot on the line and he's taking a very hard fight with an opponent. Uh, who's undefeated and seeming, uh, seems to be unknown, uh, what's uh, his potentials to be? Um, and don't, is there a possibility that the winner of Sandhagen fight, fight for the title? Uh, this is my first question. And the second about, uh, it seems really hard right now to put a title fight for Adesanya in, the, uh, in September. Uh, don't you think uh, that the UFC are thinking about Shimaev? I know he should fight uh, another guy like you said uh, previously, but it seems like if DDP and, uh, uh, doesn't win his next fight and uh, go through war uh, or uh, uh, Sean Strickland doesn't win either, it's going to be better than putting Jared Cannonier against uh, Israel um, in September. Thank you, Mike. I mean, we have this is. I, I don't want to sound like Dana White, but this is a we have to wait and see what happens kind of thing because coming up next Saturday, not this Saturday, next Saturday, Sean Strickland's fighting Abus Magomedov. Now that is not the most thrilling main event. It's one of the more head scratchy main events that we've had in quite some time. But if Sean Strickland wins that fight. And Sean doesn't take a lot of damage in his fights. If Sean wins a decision or something, he's in the mix. Like, he might be at the top of the list. He's the dude. He'll jump over Jared Cannonier, even though Cannonier beat Martin Vittori, and that win means a lot more. But Sean has incredible recovery skills where he could just turn around real fast. And if he could just go in there and win a decision and have a nice promo on the mic, which... I've talked to Eric Dixick about this many times since they announced that fight. Sean's going to be ready to fight for the belt. And they have video material to sell that fight. And the build between those two guys is going to get uncomfortable. 
But it's Sean Strickland is going to make it interesting, and he's going to get people interested in that fight, even though a lot of people aren't going to give him much of a chance to win. So you could go that route. You could go that route if he beats Avis Magomedov. So he will certainly be in play, and he will find a way to turn back around in two and a half months and fight Israel Adesanya. That fight is there when you need it. He's obviously got to win, but he's in the mix. The rest, we just have to see how it all plays out. Because what if Whitaker just goes out there and knocks out DDP in the first round? What if he just goes out there and melts him in two minutes? What if that happens? And Whitaker doesn't take any damage. He could turn back around. Will he want to is another question. What if DDP somehow pulls off the big upset? Because if he wins, he's gonna, it's going to be something shocking and out of nowhere. And it's going to be a finish. I don't think he's winning a decision against Robert Whitaker. If DDP is to win this fight... He's probably going to chaotically finish him in the first round. If that's the case, there's another guy you could turn around real quick. Hamzat, I do not think is in play at all. That fight is not, that fight is there. And when it happens, it's going to be gigantic. But to me, that is not a, oh, we have, that's not a, we have nothing else to do. So let's make this fight kind of a fight. That's a fight that deserves a ton of build and hype around it. Potentially Hamzat's crowning moment. And I don't think you can rush that. I don't think it's I don't think it has the same impact. People will be cool with it and people will be like, wow, this is happening. But I don't think it'll have the same pizzazz, if you will, that like if Izzy goes out and fights DDP and knocks him out in the first round, and then Shamaya fights Cannonair and ragdolls him in the first round, like the that fight means much more. That fight means much more. So there's options. Maybe Jamal Hill. Maybe they do Jamal Hill. If they, that would be make more sense to be a, okay, let's just do something cool. We don't have any other options. That makes more sense than just chucking Shemayev in there. So, yeah, again, Dana-esque answer. We have to to wait and see what happens. And then Bantamweight with, with Sanhagen and, and Usman or, or Umar Namagamayev, excuse me. No, I don't think the winner's going to get a title fight. I do think the winner of that fight is next in is next in line. Maybe they have to fight one more time. But it all depends. It would all depend on whether or not Sean O'Malley beats Aljamain Sterling. Because if Aljamain Sterling wins and the title is vacated, then the winner of if Cejudo wins I don't know. It it maybe they could. Maybe they could. If it's a vacant title, perhaps. But you have to you have to think Marab Dewalish Willie is one half of that fight. You have to think Marab is one half, unless the other scenario plays out where O'Malley. But if, but if Sterling wins, Marab's going to be in the vacant fight. Cejudo beats Cheeto. I can see them doing Cejudo Marab. But if Cheeto wins, I don't think they'll do Cheeto Marab. I don't know. There's, there's a lot that needs to happen, but I would say the winner of Umar versus Sanhagen does not get the next title shot. But there is a small sliver of hope for both guys, depending on how this mess plays out. Uh, the homie. Hello, the homie. You're muted, the homie. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. What's up, man? Hey, I kind of wanted to uh, get your take on something that I think is a bit of an unacknowledged problem in the sport, which is that uh, we, we tend to see 
a lot more late stoppages than we really talk about. Um, you know, on Saturday, we saw an unconscious Dennis Bondar take like five brutal elbows to the face. And, uh, you know, just drawing another one out of the hat, I remember that, you know, Alonzo Menafield delivered like disgusting ground and pound on an obviously knocked out Misha Serkinov a couple months back. Um, is this just something that we have to get used to as having a sport with ground and pound? Or is there a way to discourage fighters from just wailing on uh, unconscious opponents until the ref pulls them off. You know, I remember not too long ago, we actually saw Joaquin Buckley step in and land a punch on Andre Fialio after the ref came in between them to try to uh, set them apart. So do you think there's something that can be done about this? Because, I mean, personally, just knowing about the effects of CTE and brain damage uh, in combat sports, it makes me uncomfortable to watch. I don't know if this is something that other people feel as well or what. Um, thanks, Mike. Yeah, look, there's it's a slippery slope, man, because some of them look bad and some of them look like, well, the ref doesn't want to you – don't, you don't want to make any mistakes as a ref. Like, I know there are referee mistakes and – you know, I did a full thing on that Fury FC thing, and that was like the biggest blunder in quite some time as far as referees goes with the Gianni Vasquez, Edgar Chira situation. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Way, way too many extra shots. And yeah, it's, it's just a slippery slope. To me, I'd rather see fights stopped quicker than too late, but a lot of people don't feel the same way. And as far as the responsibility of the fighter goes it depends on the fighter like some people will see like like norbert Novenu jr landed that big right hand and then he walked away at, on the bellator card he's like all right he's done the ref should just step in and stop this and he probably should have but the ref didn't he's like oh shit gotta go in there and land more shots and he did and the ref pulled him off alex barono has told me many times like at his mentality in a fight is that if he drops a dude he ain't stopping until the ref pulls him off goes, I'm just in that zone. I've worked so hard. I get to that point. That's the mindset that I have. That if I hurt a guy, I'm just going in until the ref tells me to stop. And then I'll get off him. So, yeah, it's it was tough to watch that, man. It was tough to watch. But, again, what if that knockdown landed and the ref just stopped it, like right there and then? What if he just stopped it right there and, Bondar shoots right up, and he's like, I was fine, man. Then we're going to be like, oh, another referee controversy. So, but yeah, he, and this is not the first time he's allowed that to happen. So, but it's, it's a tough job, man. It's so tough. I mean, I'm talking, I mean, look, when, when, when this show comes on and a celebrity jumps in, we got to boost them. So, New York Rick, best theme song in MMA. Good morning. Heck of a morning, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. Um, I feel that the answer has been staring us in the face, Mike. It's just been there the whole time. We're talking about Israel Adesanya in the middleweight division, and we're talking about, well, if Sean Strickland gets a win against an unranked opponent, can we turn him around quickly enough? Because what if Robert Whitaker and what if um, DDP can't do it? The answer has been there the whole time, and it's not Hamzat waiting in the wings. I'll tell you exactly who can turn around real quick and give a fight that people want to see. It's one Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel gets a dub. Everybody else kind of falls to the wayside. Bo Nickel 
versus Israel Adesanya in Sydney. Boom, there it is. Holy smokes. I want to I want to say things about it, but like if this happened, it would not shock me. It would not shock me. It would not be my first choice or my second or my third or my fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. But that'd be wild, man. Can you imagine Bo Nickel like goes, what's he, he'd be 4-0 after he beats Treshawn Gore, 5-0? and They just throw him into a title fight with Israel Adesanya? Holy shit. That is not going to happen, but wouldn't it be wild if it did? I don't want, like, that's a huge question, though. Like, what would the betting line be on that fight? You would have to imagine Izzy would be the favorite, but not by much. Not by much. It's interesting. Not my choice, but it is interesting. I don't think it's going to happen. Patty, hello. How are you doing? So I got Good. a question on Ian Gary. I'm wondering, so I know he had that whole six-fight plan, you know, to get to the title. But now I'm wondering with this change of matchup, if he could be in question for a title eliminator if he goes out there and wins his next. Mm, no, probably not. It's kind of like the Bo Nickel situation. Bo's in no rush. I, I, I think like I think Bo gets it. Ian Gary's Ian Machado Gary's definitely not in a rush. He has the six fight plan, and I think timing actually works out really well because Stephen Thompson is fighting Michelle Pajeda at UFC 291, which is the pay-per-view right before 292. And neither of those guys are ranked, like, incredibly high. Like, they're both top 10 guys. I know Wonderboy is. I don't know if Michelle Pei is top 10 guy. Let me look at that real quick. The, this is the UFC rankings, not the rankings that matter. Uh, welterweight. Che- Michelle Pei is 15. G- Gary's actually ranked higher. Thompson's seven, so the winner of that fight will probably remain in the number seven spot. If Ian Machado Gary beats Jeff Neal, who's number eight, Ian Machado Gary versus Steven Thompson or Michelle Pajeda seems perfect. Hamza Chemaev is still ranked at welterweight. Shavkat Rachmanov is number six. I don't think there's a world anywhere where Ian Machado Gary versus Shavkat Rachmanov is going to happen. Then you got Burns. And here's an issue, too. Burns trains with Ian Machado Gary. And I think when Shafkot, like trains in, the, in America, also trains at Killcliffe. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's where we go. And then maybe he wins one or two more, and then he gets there. So I love this fight with Jeff Neal. Love it. I want it. You all know what I wanted. I wanted the Kevin Holland fight, or at least a call-out of Kevin Holland. Didn't love the Neil Magny call-out, especially with Neil having a fight booked. And if he loses, then it's just a throwaway call-out altogether because Neil Magny's fighting Phil Rowe, and Phil's a good fighter. But if it wasn't Kevin Holland, Jeff Neal was was second on the list. 
So I don't think it's a title. I don't. I think he's still with a win, like two to three wins away from getting a title fight. Tokolo. Um. So, firstly, I want to say, Eric Jackman, you mad scientist genius. My God, I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is the exact sort of chaos that I want. And uh, please, just inject it into my veins. And I will say, it will be Israel Adesanya minus one fifty. But let me pivot. Because I am the resident Dane in this community. So I would have to, I would be mistaken if I didn't mention Negro Stolby. And I, with the transformation that he has had between his first run and his second run, is quite remarkable. In his first run, he kind of never really lived up to what he had shown in Cage Warriors. It all seemed discompulate. Yeah, it, it seemed wrong. It, it's, he seemed out of sorts. And he's explained why. And now he's on a three-fight winning streak. And with this, probably what his most impressive win in this run coming on Saturday, I think it's time. And I, I said this uh, on Othno, but I'm going to repeat it here. I think he is the guy to welcome Kelvin Gastelum into the welterweight division. And I think that does more for him than a top 15 fight, uh, a random top 15 fight, uh, as I wrote to AK. Because this is name value. This is something that he can actually leverage to do something more. He is getting up there in age. So if he wants to do something, I think he has to take some, he has to take the chances that he is given. Uh, and I think if he got this chance, he, he could, that would be the fastest track to get into the top 10. And I mean, the, the dream matchup for me is going to be Dolby Steven Thompson. That 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 is the dream matchup for me, because they are just gonna have a fun kickboxing match, and I would love to see that. But I would like to hear your opinion on his uh, efforts. I like that idea. I like that idea. I don't think that's what they're gonna do, but I do like that idea. He looked good. That was a, that was a good performance. He is a. Uh... Muslim Zalikov is is not an easy out, but that was a that, that was a very solid performance, very veteran savvy. I loved everything about it. This guy's got something right now. Three in a row. I don't think he's gonna get that fight. I suggested Chaos Williams. Probably not the step up he would have he would love after a win like that. But I think that's just a fun fight. Let's see how he deals with the chaos. And chaos is really good. I actually feel like. Gaslam is going to get... I, I kind of feel like Gaslam's going to get fed to Shafkat Rachmanov. Honestly. I feel like that's how it's going to go because Shafkat's going to have a hard time getting a fight. I would... Like, Shafkat versus Kamara Usman is, like, perfect. Do that in Abu Dhabi. I love that fight. I just don't know if Usman takes it. I don't know if the, the risk-reward factor is there. Colby's getting a title shot. Bilal... Seems at least right this second to be next in line. I don't have a ton of confidence in that, if we're being honest. Burns just coming off the loss. Shmaev going to 185. Thompson probably ain't taking that fight. We already saw Shafkov fight Jeff Neal. Sean Brady's fighting Jack Della Maddalena. I kind of feel like Gaslam's in play for, for Shafkov. 
just as a name and a guy that he could actually fight. But yeah, you want to give me Nicholas Dobby versus you want to give me Dobby uh, in that spot with Kelvin Gaslam? I think it's a good one. I think it's a good idea. If this is Bellator, it's probably the fight they make. But I don't know if that it's a needle mover like Gaslam Shafkat would be. But yeah, he's he's been impressive. This second run has been sweet. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Kowloon City. Take us home. Hello. Eric Jackman, where would you rank uh, Charles Oliveira in terms of all-time lightweights? Uh, if you're going to give him a scale factor of 1 to 10, and we'll obviously, for comparison, put Khabib at a 10 in terms of skill, in terms of talent, where is Charles on that list? All right. Uh, New York Rick, tag back in, buddy. Question for you. Where do you rank Charles Oliveira? In terms of skill set, 1 to 10. Maybe it's like a video game ranking of some sort, New York Rick, if you want to jump back in. I'll bring you in a second. Let's get to Panda, and then we'll tag in New York Rick to answer that question. Panda, hello. My man, Mike, how are you? I got a question for you. What were your exact thoughts? Like, I would love to hear your internal thoughts during the uh, Armand Saruki and Joachim Silva second round when Armand was on absolute skates because you were probably the only person I was thinking about. I was distraught. I just, I didn't think Joachim was ever going to get to him. I thought maybe, maybe that is ignorant of me, but I don't know. I, I think Armand is a future champ and future champs don't get hurt by Joachim Silva in the second round. I mean, they could. Dude can crack. The dude hits hard. And Sirkin got a little too uh, too excited. He was doing really well on the feet. Those those shots to the body, those body kicks were nasty. Those were ruthless. But he got cracked. And he was, my initial thought was, "Holy shit!" And then he recovered, and I'm like, "All right, he's fine." But that could have been a disaster. Could have been a disaster of monumental proportions for the title hopes of Armin Sirkin. But he recovered, and it's all good. That was my thought. I was like, oh, my God, holy shit. Then he recovered, and he got the win. Got the finish in the third round, said F it, got it done. All right, New York Rick, respond. Uh, Where do you rank Charles Oliveira? Lightweight skill set if Habib is a 10. Where is Charles? Before I do that, which I will, can I just talk about, like, how I just come in and drop gold, like, right in the middle of this? And (laughs) I mean, come on. Um, But happy to do it. This is the best show in MMA. Okay. where would I see? Here's the problem with that assumption. And my friend Nicholas, who I happen to know is a very, very big Habib fan and a fan of all the Dagestani wrestlers. Here's the problem. There's an assumption there that Habib is a 10. But is Habib a 10? Like if we're looking at all the attributes across the spectrum, 
you'd have to think like Charles has advantages in the striking in the submissions. Like if we're doing it like a video game, like let's say like an NBA 2K, like his sliders on some of his attributes are going to be pretty high. Whereas Habib's going to obviously have cardio wrestling, all the things that you need to execute that style. But overall, like his rating might probably be close, if not higher than, uh, than Habib. But if we're going simple one to 10 scale, who do I think is going to win fights? Then if Habib's a 10, Charles has got to be at this point for me, like a nine, right? Like th- there's, there's pretty much it's Charles and then it's Islam and then it's Habib with that style. Um, but if we're doing 2k where you've got all the different attributes, I don't know, man, I think Charles might be up there with, with some of the best in terms of what he's, he's got maxed out. He's got subs maxed out. His striking's coming along really nicely. He's got toughness. He's got heart. Like the dude's probably one of the more well-rounded guys right now. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna give Charles a nine on on the simple scale, but I, I, I'd be interested in a more like comprehensive MMA stats slider type of conversation. Yeah, that's a good point. I would say they they they'd probably both be like ninety eight, ninety nines, like total value. Both of those guys, I think that's pretty fair. But I like the question. I like the video game slider scale. All right, VB MMA picks. You will close the show. What's up? Hey, man. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, Ilya and Emmett fight. You know, what you think happens with Ilya if, if he gets it done here? And also, I want to respond to a guy who said, like, oh, Arman got cracked by, you know, Joachim Silva. Can he be a champion? Like, I mean, Islam got knocked out by some, you know, I think his name was, like, Adriano Martins, I think that guy, but he became a champ, so in fights things happen, you know. So I will not like I will not rule out uh, Armand as a champ, to be honest, in the future. But yeah, my question is, what you think uh, happens with Ilya if he gets it done? You think he's next in line? Thanks, man. Um, yes, I do. Yes, I do. If he beats Josh Emmett, I think he's next in line. I think he's next in line. But again, if Yair Rodriguez beats Alexander Volkanovsky, then they're going to run that back. So it's just a matter of like, do you want to wait that long for a title shot or do you want to stay busy? Kind of up to him at that point. But yeah, I think if he goes out there, I'm picking Volk to beat Yair Rodriguez, but I don't think that it's going to be an easy win by any stretch of the imagination. As Yair typically does to his opponents, he takes a piece of you with him. Win or lose, and I think he's going to take a piece of Volkanovsky with him. So could be – I know Volk wants to be active and fight a million times this year, but could be tough after you fight Yair Rodriguez. But, yeah, I think – I'm pretty confident that if Ilya Teporia beats Josh Emmett, and I'm picking him to do so. Although Josh is good, man. I, I, Josh is a little underrated. But I am picking Ilya to win, and I think if he wins, he's next in line. Because this is what I want to see. I don't want to see Volk go up to 155 right now. I don't. And I understand that he's in play. He goes out there and just wrecks Jair Rodriguez and gets on the mic and says, Islam, you came to my hometown. Now I'm going to come to yours. I know it's not the hometown, but you came to my crowd. Now I'm going to go to your crowd. Let's run this back. I still feel like I won. The UFC is going to think about that very, very hard. They're going to go into that Tuesday meeting and they're going to have a debate about it. 
And there's a chance that fight happens over the Oliveira fight. I will be like, oh, man. I want to see these two guys fight again. I want to see Volkanovski get that Islam fight again. Just not now. Let Islam get a couple of title defenses against lightweights. Let Volkanovski get a couple more defenses at featherweight. And if they both win like their next two or three fights and still have the belt and all that, December 2024, UFC 3-something, whatever that is, that could be the main event, the rematch. Because I don't know how – like we just don't know how long we have either of these guys, if we're being honest. I don't think Islam's going to be a guy that's going to fight for four more years. And I actually don't know if we're going to have Volkanovski for that long either. I think Volk's just setting himself up for the rest of his life. The dude is going to do very well outside of fighting. He wants to do as much damage and get all the accolades and all the statistics and all this, all these accomplishments in the book so he can move on. With, be a dad and be a husband. Be a, and just, just be that. And then do cooking shows. Be the next Julia Child. Be the next Emerald. He could do that. He's not here for a long time. He's here for a good time. And I think we got a few more years of both of those guys, probably less with Islam. So we don't need to rush that fight. End of next year, if both guys continue to win, then we can do it. We don't need to do it now. We don't need to do it now. Taporia getting – let's let him get a shot if he beats Josh Evans. He deserves it if he, if he does. So that's what I want to see. All right, we'll take one more. UFC KSA, hello. Hello, how are you? Thanks for uh, the opportunity. Sure. Yeah, I have a question. Uh, do you think Muhammad uh, Mukayev have a chance to break uh, John Jones, uh, uh, youngest uh, UFC uh, champion? Mm. And also... Oh, shoot. Come back in. Come back in. My bad. Jump right back in. I'll get your other question. Okay. He's back in. Sorry about that. I, I thought you were done. What, what, what was your other question? I was saying, uh, and the, uh, not only Mohamed Mukayev, if there is a possibility for anyone with the new regulations can have be a champion with a young age than uh, John Jones. Um, um, what, John was 23... What's, like, the actual number? Jose Youngs would, like, know this off the top of his head. John was 23 in, like, some months. I just don't know how many months. Let me look up. Let me look this up real quick. So John won the belt in March of 2011. He's July, so he was 23 and eight months around there. Muhammad Makhayev is 22. He'll be 23 in July. So he'll have till what? January, February. He'll have till March 2023 to get there. I don't think he does. I don't think he gets there. 
Now, I have been... I'm still on the Muhammad Baha'i train. I'm still there. There are people who have fallen off. I was one of the couple... I was one of the people who went on an MMA fighting podcast and said into a live microphone that I believe Muhammad Mikhaev could be a two-division champion in the UFC. I've said that. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But these last few performances, they are wins, and wins are everything. But maybe not everything. He has not left a great taste in people's mouths in terms of his performances being as big a favorite as he is. Mikhaev has incredible skills. His striking's getting better. His wrestling is great. His grappling is, um, is, is really, really good. But for some reason, he, like, when he made his debut and he fought Cody Durden, he was pissed off. He wanted to make a statement, and he had a killer instinct on him. That instinct has sort of gone away. That guy we haven't really seen in his last few fights. We've seen a guy that's happy to just go out there and win a third and 27. And that's cool. You want to get wins and stockpile them of enough of those. It's going to get you to, to, to a title fight. There's no doubt about it. But if you want to be the youngest champion, you want to get that. Like John was out there melting fools. He was out there running over everybody. He was finishing everybody. It got to the point where he was undeniable. You had to give it to him. Muhammad's not there. He's just not there right now. And Flyweight has a lot of guys. Look at the jam we have right now. We have a title fight coming up. We got Brandon Royval. We got Amir Albazi. We got other guys on the come up. Manel Kopp is another guy. If he beats Kaikar France, he's right there. The path to, Mah- to Muhammad is, just seems a lot longer now. After that Durden win, we were like, okay. Let's give him another one of those kinds of fights. Durden's a tough guy. Bottom end, top 20 guy. Let's give him another guy. Like that. And then if he did the same thing, okay, now we're off. Now we're off and running. We just haven't really had that from him. He just hasn't shown – he's getting finishes, but they're late in the fight, and he almost – I mean, he almost lost his last fight. Jafel Filio gave him hell. Malcolm Gordon gave him a tough fight. I, 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 he got a lot of flack for the Charles Johnson performance. I actually, to me, I was like, that is a scary-ass performance for anybody in this division because he just ragdolled Charles Johnson over 15 minutes. Like, a million takedowns. The dude was just couldn't stop. And then Gordon gave him some problems. Filio gave him some problems. He just wants to get to that record, but he's kind of hurting himself by getting there. He's not recovering from injuries. He's not taking enough time off between fights. He's putting himself in just tough positions trying to break this record, and I just don't think it's there. I don't think the path to it is there for him right now. Can't, will he get to a title? Yes, I, I feel very confident that he will get to a title shot, and by the time he gets there, he'll probably win. But he's just not there yet. There's no need to rush this guy. There's no need to rush him. I don't think he's going to be the youngest champ. I actually am very high on, and I just want to make sure, I want to pull up the numbers here. Do, 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 boom. Tetsuro Tyra is 23 as well. 
he's not going to get there because he turned 23 in January, but that's another guy who, and he, and he should be getting more of a push from the UFC than he's actually getting. Hatsura Tyra is a problem at 125. I don't think he's, and I think he's a, a really good prospect, like a really, really good prospect. Do I put him above Muhammad Bahayev? No. But do I think he's very close to there? Yes, I do. Mahayev gets all these big prelim spots, gets on main cards, and Tatsuur Tyra is just getting buried in the prelims. This kid is really good. I think he's the second fight on this card. Come on, man. Like, he should be up higher than that. He should be up higher than that. I know it's a fight night card and whatever. But he is, it's a 14-fight card. And he's the second fight. By the time the card ends, like, are we even going to remember what Tetsuro Tyra does? He should be up higher on the card. You got a lot of good prospects at 25. And Tyra's one of them. But to answer your question, do I think somebody will beat John Jones's record? Yes. Do I think it'll happen in the next five years? No. But in the next 10, 15, sure. It's a whole different world now. There are people who are in the UFC that like found MMA like three years ago and got there, but there's going to be another generation of up and coming fighters who started training when they were like five and were doing grappling tournaments and kickboxing tournaments when they were like really young. So by the time they were turned 18, and could legally fight like in the U S and, and I know there's like kids leagues in, in parts of the world. And even in the U S like Raul Rocha's junior, before he got to the UFC, he was fighting dudes. And he's like 14 to 15 and 16, like full on fights. And there's going to be another generation of, of fighters like that who are going to be coming in the next 10 years. So I think that record will be broken. It just won't be broken for the next, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years. But all right, we're done. Thank you all very much. I gotta get out of here. You all are the best. Uh, little news for you. Thursday we'll be back, 10 a.m. Eastern. And a lot of you have been saying, Mike, what are your thoughts about bringing fighters on the show and letting us talk to the fighters? Well, we're gonna do that on Thursday, and we're gonna do it right out the gate on Thursday. Uh, you might remember her great performance from UFC 289 about a little less than two weeks ago, defeated Miranda Maverick. Uh, Jasmine Jazdavizius is going to hop in right at 10 a.m. And she's going to talk to us for a little while. And she's going to take your questions. Probably have her on for like 20, 25 minutes before she has to go train. So she's going to join us Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Confirmed it this morning. So... Little Q and A with the with the UFC ranked fighter. How about that? Right here on Heck of a Morning. So, and we'll see you then. We'll have some fun. And until then, everybody, thank you very much. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. And as always, have a heck of a morning, everybody.
You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.